Well, get on with it, girl. Uh, my name is Wendy. Uh, Wendy Moore, Angela Dawson. Wendy's enough. Through a modern lens, Disney's 1953 animated version of Peter Pan sounds painfully dated. But this year, Peter Pan gets a fresh reimagining that allows Wendy to drive the story. Tell Mama I'm just staying a little longer. And tell her that I'm being wild as hell. Filmmaker Ben Zeitlin revisits James M. Barry's children's classic for his new film, Wendy. Come, Wendy. I'll teach you to fly through the sky. Welcome to another edition of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Transplanted New Yorker Ben Zeitlin made Beasts of the Southern Wild, a fierce and beautiful cinematic poem about a culture on the verge of extinction and defiantly staring down the challenges that accompany that. The film used non-professional actors that Zeitlin told me helped shape the script. It's been eight years since Beasts of the Southern Wild, but Zeitlin is taking the same approach in his new film, Wendy. The film opens in a contemporary cafe that exists perilously close to a train whose whistle seems to lure wild children to escape their mundane existence. All children grow up, but some, the wild ones, escape. The train proves to be Peter Pan's means of gathering new companions. Zeitlin co-wrote the film with his sister Eliza. He recalled how their wish as they blew out birthday candles was always that they would never grow up. Now they get to tackle that idea by retelling the Peter Pan story and using Wendy to investigate the true nature of aging. Or as he says in his director's statement, not the changes to our bodies, but the erosion of the spirit that happens only when joy, wonder, and hope are lost. How could we grow up and never lose our freedom? This question became the guiding force for what became a seven-year journey to Wendy. I need to take a quick break, and when I return, I'll have my interview with writer-director Ben Zeitlin. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcasts and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. First of all, what attracted you to wanting to reimagine a Peter Pan story? I think a lot of things. I think it was, you know, it was a story that particularly for me and my sister had been part of our personal mythology since uh, we were really small children. You know, I think that I did a play of Peter Pan for her when she was two years old, you know, with stuffed animals and like 
zip lines flying into a puppet theater. And, you know, it, it was like a story that we retold to each other and, and less than kind of like actually retelling the real story of Peter was really about, you know, kind of the, these characters sort of stayed with us and these ideas and kind of this sort of central theme of, you know, what can be lost when you grow up and sort of going from children being sort of kind of terrified of that loss, um, always kind of dreading like that somehow we were going to lose some part of ourselves that, um, that we can never get back in the process of growing up. And then I think as we got older, I think more, you know, reflecting on, some of the, the sort of the, the theme that, that really kind of we reconnected with the story with when, at, the, at the point where we decided to make the film was kind of this idea um, th- that's kind of in the text that, that always, that I think continued to sort of terrify me even as an adult, that there's this kind of idea that in order to be, in order to be truly free, you have to be alone and you have to be kind of heartless and, and really unconnected to other people. And I think it's something that, I think everybody really confronts at some point um, is this idea that in order to grow up, in order to, you know, have, you know, pursue the dreams of the work you want to do or the career you want to have or the family that you want to have, that there's this kind of sacrifice of freedom and wildness and joy involved in, in getting those things. And I think we wanted to explore the notion that that doesn't have to be a choice that you make and that there's, there's, that there can be tremendous sort of joy and freedom and wildness within love, within sort of family, within kind of the path to, to getting older. And, and we sort of wanted to tell a story, you know, not through the lens of Peter, who sort of is just this tiny little zealot for, for never grow up, but through the sort of lens of Wendy, who is this kid who goes to experience this sort of adventure um, and this, and this freedom, but then also has to leave and go back and face life and sort of, take that, take that with her and and figure out what to do with it and how to sort of confront these losses and not be broken by them. Your film's arriving at the same time that a play here is opening, also reimagining Peter Pan called Fly. What do you think about this story has given it such longevity and kind of inspired people to reimagine it repeatedly? I imagine it's something that a lot of artists connect to. You know, I think especially when you're, when your path in life is, is, impractical, you know, which most artists' paths are, you know, we are trying to, you know, live for storytelling and imagination. And as you get older, there's quite a lot of pressure, I think, for for creative people to sort of compromise their vision and their dream of of what they might do and who they might be and to, to conform to more practical paths that lead to more financial stability or whatever, you know, lead to that are safer or, 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 or more stable. And I think that, you know, there, there's something in, in the experience of growing up um, as an artist that, that I, I think probably, that I certainly connect, connected to the conflicts and the themes within the, the mythology of Peter, and then I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Your first film, Beasts of the Southern Wild, had a, a kind of social consciousness regarding climate change. This film has a really interesting kind of ecosystem to it. I mean, when the trains are going by, what you're seeing is not like this beautiful, pristine landscape. And, and when they get to the island, too, there's trash washing up on the, the beach. So I'm wondering what kind of kind of themes you were trying to get at with that. I think it's a couple of things. You know, I think that we we really wanted the film to 
sort of celebrate a, a connection to nature, even if it's not like a pretty and perfect one. You know, we wanted to sort of celebrate something that was more visceral. And, you know, the film was, we went through, we went to enormous lengths to film the, the, the you know, to make the movie, you know, on a real island in the real rainforest. Like we shot on an active volcano. We shot in beaches that were sandstorms and oceans and underwater. And, you know, we tried to always, really shoot the film like truly in connection with nature and and we wanted uh to tell a story about sort of childhood adventure that wasn't sort of like synthesized and you know built in a computer and and you know that really had that visceral um contact with you know with muck you know for for lack of a better word um and and we also wanted to sort of thematically talk about how how that changes, you know, I think that one, one of the, one of the losses that I think we experience, like going from being children to adults is our, our sort of visceral connection to the planet shifts in a way. I think when we're young, your contact with whatever it is, dirt, bugs, dead things, sand, water, like those things don't feel disconnected from you. You can just sort of be a part of them. And then we, we slowly learn to not touch things that are dirty and not get germs and, you know, to and, and as we get older, and I think something that changes, you know, as you become an adult is people really start thinking about how to use the earth to benefit them and to make their lives more convenient. And, and, and oftentimes that's a very destructive force. And I think that those themes are ones that we wanted to play out in the movie. And so, you know, you're often seeing the world of adults or, or as sort of the sort of perfect world of the children fades, it, it gets invaded by refuse and things that aren't natural. Um, and, and that, that sort of those are two sort of parallels in the film, you know, two, two sort of distinct worlds in the film. One that is very much like entirely untouched nature and one that is, you know, much more sort of corrupted by the adult world of, of garbage and, and, you know, construction and, and ways in which that we, we use natural resources to try to um, live more comfortably. Talk a little bit about the process that you make films. It's been a long time since, I think it's been like eight years since Beast of the Southern Wild. And you really kind of invest in these films, finding children who aren't professional actors and going to locations that are not necessarily the easiest to get to. Talk a little bit about that, this process you go through creating these films and how they evolve. You know, I think we're always looking for ways to make larger than life things feel very, very real and figure out where, like, where does Neverland exist on this earth? You know, where, where is the planet at every bit as sort of awe-inspiring and exhilarating as sort of like the fairies and the mermaids of the original Peter Pan or like what experience would be as thrilling as, as flight, you know, as exists in the, in the original Peter Pan. And so, you know, I think both with sort of where we shoot the film um, and also looking for, you know, actors who connect to these characters, you know, we're, we're looking for people and places that, that just have like a spirit that connects to an idea and connects to sort of an emotion that is is, is central to the story. And, and, you know, those things are, we, we sort of prioritize those things over acting experience or accessibility or practicality of shooting somewhere. We try to really commit ourselves to this idea of, of using the real thing as much as possible and, and hopefully bringing like a real sense of, um, of reality to, uh, to a story that has always been sort of far away magical land that is really a fairy tale. And hopefully this is a very different way to kind of think about the ideas in the story in ways that they actually can feel realistic. Talk about 
how you wanted this location to look? Because you shot on an island off of Antigua. Um, yeah, well, on, on Antigua, Barbuda, and uh, and, in, and on the island of Montserrat. And kind of convey a sense of what you wanted this film to look like from shooting there. You know, I think we wanted to uh, we we wanted to um, really take uh, take the audience, you know, to a place that is both larger than life and also actually exists. And we wanted to shoot, you know, we didn't want to construct Neverland. We didn't want to sort of build sets and we wanted to find the actual, an actual place that sort of spoke to these ideas that have, you know, been associated with Neverland. And and so we found this incredible Island called Montserrat that has an active volcano on it. um, And that two thirds of the Island are a exclusion zone um, where, you know, that have been evacuated. And so, you have a whole sort of region um, that is incredibly naturally diverse as rainforests and cliffs and beaches and these sprawling ash fields that look like the moon and then an active volcano that's, you know, pouring sulfur. And, and it's all sort of in a very compact, small space. You could stand in one place, an island, and see all of those things as you turn around in a circle. And so we really wanted to kind of get this, convey this experience of, these, of, of this island that has these radically different feelings and landscapes. That, that the children in the film are, are traveling through rapidly and that the, you know, the, the different populations in the film um, inhabit and that sort of express, express um, sort of different emotional worlds of the movie. One of the things I think you do really well in this film and also Beast of the Southern Wild is this sense of kind of exhilarating movement where you combine, it's the cinematography, it's the editing, it's the music, it's the kids running, but there's this sense of, like such joy in the just the physical movement of it. Yeah, you know, I think I, it's something that I've I always like. It's something that I always want to capture, which I think is one of the hardest things to capture on film is just pure joy and pure freedom. Because everything about how films are conventionally made works against that. You know, you have generally on a film set, you're there thinking about time, money. Uh, very specific angles and places that you can shoot. And there's like a hundred people there and everybody's under pressure. And it's the least liberated feeling uh, work environment that you could possibly imagine normally. And and so one of the huge challenges to me always is to find a way to sort of take apart that conventional uh, culture of a film set and, and create a place where the circumstances are such that you can actually have fun, you know, especially for these kids that are actors in our films, like, if they can't come to set and be wild and have fun and express that part of themselves, it prevents them from being able to to truly bring themselves to the performance and, 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 do, and, you know, do the sort of acting that we're looking for. And so, you know, it's always a goal of mine to, to sort of not have the culture of my films uh, feel like this incredibly structured, oppressive place, but to allow room for spontaneity, for unexpected things to happen, for chaos. And, you know, that all makes things, more difficult to accomplish on a filmmaking level, but it does allow for this emotion of freedom and joy that I think is very, very rare and hard to capture in the context of a, of a, of a movie shoot. You will never grow Never! That was a clip from the trailer for Wendy. I need to take one last break, and then I'll be back with the rest of my interview with filmmaker Ben Zeitlin. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. 
I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. Now, neither one of these films, I think, people would think of offhand as being kind of like creature features or monsters, but both of them have these kind of magical creatures that are present does that come from some sort of fascination you have or 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 something that influenced you there's probably a couple things i i do think i have like uh you know i think a huge influence early on you know when i first started thinking about this movie with my sister we were probably like you know five years old in my parents basement watching uh our vhs tapes of like willow and the princess bride and et and you know um these films that have this incredible creature work, never ending story. Um, and I think that that those characters stayed with us forever. You know, some, some of those sort of larger than life creatures, um, you know, are, are kind of the strongest points of memory for me, just remembering what made me fall in love with the magic of movies. Um, and I think that that kind of combines with just a real love for animals and interest in how, we relate to animals and, and animals relate to us and, and, and just an, uh, an important feeling that I wanted to express in the film. And that I think children know and that adults lose is just that we're not different, you know, that we are also creatures on this earth. We're also animals and that um, we're not, we're not separated from them actually in the way that we start to behave later in life. And I think that for kids, um, both films are sort of told through the lens of, of children and how they see the world and this connection that children have to animals, this empathy that they have for them um, and, and sort of understanding the world as they relate to other creatures um, is something that just really fascinates me and, and something that um, just kind of organically emerged as um, important elements of both of these um, little girls psychology that are there at the center of the movie, that there's this, that there's this animal that they, seek to understand, uh, you know, in one case they're afraid, in one case they're trying to protect it. But, you know, they, they become incredibly important emotional touchstones um, for the children in both films. And in this film, the, the creature is referred to as mother, and I, th- I think that kind of emphasizes your whole notion of this connection to nature, and you, you can't help but think of, like, mother nature when, when you see this creature. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I think one of the main things that we wanted to really um, you know, sort of just uh, one of the main things that we wanted to reimagine in the in the pan myth is really the attitude and the approach uh, to motherhood that it takes. There's this sort of idea um, in the original story and in the idea of Wendy that she's sort of brought to be the mother of the Lost Boys and what that means in almost every iteration of the tale is that she is kind of on the sidelines and she, you know, 
stays at home while the boys go on an adventure and then she tucks them into bed and fixes their clothes and um you know uh and that's what it means to be a mother and we we really wanted to destroy that notion and completely uh transform it both in sort of who Wendy is we wanted to give her agency and power and strength and bravery and we wanted to sort of you know uh show that there's there's no inherent reason why motherhood doesn't mean that you're not also wild and free and uh you know brave and 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 in and in this story in this film motherhood is you know it's the it's the most sort of monumental superpower you can have and that exists both in the character of Wendy and in Wendy's mom at home and also in the sort of uh earth goddess of mother who who is the protector of these children and also sort of the source of joy and the protector of joy um, in the world. What do you think you get by working with these non-professional actors, these children who aren't on a career path to a Hollywood stardom or something? Uh, what do you feel you get from these young kids? I mean, you learn so much about the reality of the experience they're trying to capture. Um, you know, I think that it was fundamental to us that the most important thing in casting each of these kids and really even the adults in the film was that we wanted people in this movie who, if Peter Pan came knocking on their window, they would absolutely run away. Um, and there's a certain look in a kid's eye. There's a certain mischief. There's a wonder, there's a curiosity, there's a spontaneity. There's just like a wildness. You know, we talk about like the ones with the light in their eyes and, you know, that look and that quality is something that, we didn't feel like we could synthesize in an actor that young. And, 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 you know, if you're, and the age we wanted these kids to be, you know, if at six years old, you're already on a career path, like that isn't the, you know, those, those aren't the kids that are going to jump out the window and run off, you know, necessarily. And, and so we, we wanted that sort of real wildness and real sort of like children whose first job is to just be a child um, to, to be what populated this movie. And I think that was both, you know, to give it this sense of joy and spontaneity on screen, but also, you know, for, for us as adults who have lost so much of, of that feeling and that wildness to, to spend years with these kids and, and really do so in a way that we were learning from them, that we were collaborating with them on their characters, you know, so much sort of wisdom of what it means to be young and what it feels like to be, uh, staring down growing up, you know, from that moment um, was learned by me and my sister from our actual cast who are in the film. Your films feel very unique, but did you do you feel that there were any filmmakers that influenced you or that kind of inspired you to go into filmmaking? Yeah, and I think kind of from two very different worlds, you know, I think that the films I talked about earlier, you know, just I think that movies sort of cemented this place in my imagination at a very young age. And it was in kind of big Hollywood films, you know, that I had on like child protected VHS tapes in my, in my basement growing up in the, in the eighties and early nineties, um, you know, these big fantasy films like ET um, that, you know, just, you know, had so had such a big role in sort of teaching me, you know, what it meant to be good, what it meant to be bad, what it, what a hero was, what a villain was, you know, you, you, so much of your sort of like sense of morality and, and what's, what's um, right and wrong in the world can come from movies like that. And I think that films like that sort of have, have drawn me towards kind of telling 
you know, working with mythology and, and, and working with um, stories that are like larger than life. And then, you know, I think, I think later on, as I got introduced um, to a lot of documentary filmmaking filmmakers, like Les Blank or narrative filmmakers like John Cassavetes, you know, I also equally admire sort of people that really strive to, to bring a sense of realism and performance and really study the complexities of people and, um, and relationships. And, you know, for me, I've always had a real interest in trying to find a way to sort of make those two worlds connect um, and sort of bring together, you know, what would be considered like a more, you know, um, art film sort of cinema or language and sort of connect that with stories that feel, sort of um, universal and iconic and, and timeless. And I understand you shot this on 16 millimeter. Mm -hmm. And what prompted that choice? Um, you know, I think a lot of things, it's, it's sort of the medium I, I, I learned filmmaking working with. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it has, you know, one of the sort of principal things that we wanted to do in, the, in this film was to be able to shoot in almost 360 environments, um, which would allow, which allowed the kids to be much more free, which allowed us to be much more spontaneous on set, sort of reblocking movement and, you know, just sort of improvising on the fly. And, you know, one of the great things about 16 millimeter is it can really hold up under some pretty radically different lighting conditions. And, and so, you know, when you're, when you're working in incredibly arduous environments, uh, you know, way far from any power outlet, you know, uh, you know, um, on the water, just in places that are full of things that could, uh, fry a hard drive. There's actually, I think an incredible freedom in working, um, with an analog capture medium, um, because you can really be liberated to move the camera around and sort of point and shoot without also hauling out, um, a mountain of equipment to control the light, um, or, a mountain of electronics to um, sort of capture all of the footage digitally. Um, and so it's sort of counterintuitive, but in some ways, um, you know, obviously there's things about film that are still harder. We were like, you know, we had to fly people with Kansas film to America to get it developed every single day. And there were immense logistical challenges to working on film, but in terms of just having freedom on set to be able to shoot and be spontaneous um, and be kind of lightweight and agile. Um, shooting on very small 16-millimeter cameras actually gives you um, some things that um, working with digital cameras um, don't allow. It looked gorgeous, I have to say. And it looks beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> That's too. the other advantage. Um, do you have any uh, plans for your next film? It seems like there's a large gap between movies for you. Yeah, always. I mean, you know, I never, I didn't actually stop working really after Beast. I mean, I, I spent a year promoting it and then really went directly into working on this film. Um, it just, you know, and, and Beast took five and a half years and, you know, sort of the the process that I've used on both films is, is very unconventional and it um, it just takes longer than a film that was made in a more straightforward way. So, you know, my plan is really to sort of as soon as we're done working on sort of getting Wendy out into the world. Um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be back home and started on the next thing um, right away. And you are essentially an outsider to both of these environments that you've covered, that you've looked at in your films. You, I mean, you're not from Louisiana and you're not from this area of the Caribbean. You're a New Yorker, correct? 
Um, I've lived in Louisiana for 15 oh. years, but oh, okay. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a na- I'm a native New Yorker. No, I was just wondering if like outsider eyes give you a different view of some of these places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure they do, you know, <laughs> you know, they, you're, um, you know, and I think it's a really, it's part of, it's a part of filmmaking that I really love. Um, and that I enjoy the most is kind of really a, a, a way to explore the world. And, um, you know, it's, it's an amazing, you know, I never sort of like show up, uh, in places where, uh, in a place where I'm interested in shooting with a camera or a crew or a script or anything like that, I really tend to travel by myself and, and take a really long time to, you know, get to know people, um, you know, find collaborators locally. And, and, and one of the great things about movies is, is it's an incredibly universal art form. And people are inherently interested in being a part of a movie and telling a story um, and, and sort of... Uh, collaborating in that way and so it's it's really i find just an amazing uh art form in that way in that it's so universal and so many people can be a part of it in so many different kind of ways that you know it's, it's always been an amazing experience to me to to go to a place um where i obviously don't belong and you know as i meet people say you know i'm here to tell this story and i'm interested in telling it in this place and i'm looking for people to help me figure out how to do it. Um, and, and I've met sort of, you know, some of my greatest friends and uh, just sort of, you build incredible worlds. You know, anybody, anybody that worked on Wendy um, could go back to Montserrat, uh, you know, in the apocalypse and ride it out for the rest of their lives. You know, where it's, it's like we formed a family and a home there uh, that, that lasts forever. And those are some of the most rewarding things about doing this work. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to talk about Wendy. Absolutely. Thank you for um, thank you for talking to me about it. I hope it's not that many years before your next one, though. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. All right. Thanks. But we'll see what happens. That was filmmaker Ben Zeitlin. His new film Wendy opens on March 13th. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Junkie. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend and help me grow the audience. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.